Do you love watching sports highlights? Five Star, the world's first sports highlight rating app is here. Athletes and fans can share, view, and rate the best sports highlights between one and five stars. The app is comment-free and has athletes of all skill levels, even pros like Kylie O'Miller, Kyle Harrison, and the 2022 PLL MVP, Trevor Baptiste. Download Five Star Highlights to earn yours. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Quintessential Podcast. I'm Quint Kesnick. Before we talk to Jacksonville head coach John Galloway, I just want to spin around the country. You can read my top 20 every Monday at laxallstars.com. And this time of year, it's never easy. Trying to watch as much film as I can. Usually I watch after I write my article because a lot of the highlight clips don't come across. But uh, with, with ESPN Plus, certainly it's better and better to watch and catch up on games. And you plug in that Virginia-Michigan game, and I think you, it, it's uh, insanity, quite honestly. Virginia scored 20 goals by halftime. They were on pace for 40 goals. Uh, just, just incredible. Princeton, I like this season. I think they return a lot from their semifinal team a year ago. They opened up uh, with a relatively easy win. They play a Tuesday game this week before ramping up their schedule. I think the team that's caught everyone's eye uh, and the tough read, I wanted to get a look at Loyola last night. Loyola, week one, they beat Maryland. In a lot of people's eyes, it was a massive upset. And then last week, they held serve against the Johns Hopkins team, who was missing two key offensive components. And I, wa- I-, I watched the game last night uh, with an air of skepticism. I, I kind of wanted to turn it on and say, you know, Loyola caught Maryland at the right time. Loyola caught Johns Hopkins at the right time. And honestly, what I found was Loyola is more than legit. Uh, their defense is on the same page. They've got a really great shorty in Peyton Wazanka. I love their goalie, Luke Stout. Faceoffs are an area that they, they'll need to improve. And then offensively, while their attack doesn't have the big-name players, they share the ball. They're not turning it over. Their shooting percentage is off the charts right now. So Loyola is legit. Uh, they'll play Rutgers this week before taking on uh, the Patriot League. And I just think Loyola is a dangerous team this year. Yale got off uh, – to a week one win, their defense was sold separately, but their offense was on fire. I think they took a shot within an average of 11 seconds every time they got the ball. So you think about that pace in a game against Villanova that had over 100 shots. Notre Dame steps up this week after starting against uh, some middle-tier teams. Uh, Cornell got a win over Albany. C.J. Kirst was their star. North Carolina traveled to Ohio State, where uh, the Heels showcased an, uh, an outstanding defense, but right now the offense is really struggling. And I mentioned the Buckeyes. I think the Buckeyes are a legit national title contender this year. Defensive-based, good face-offs, really good short-stick defensive midfielders. And then you got Jack Myers. So they opened their new stadium with a, with a sellout. And I, I think Ohio State's legit in the Big Ten. And finally, the two named teams, Syracuse, and North Carolina square off this week. The Orange uh, just not having enough in the middle of the field against Maryland. You know, if you're not going to win faceoffs, and then you turn the ball over, you end up playing too much defense. It's a critical game in the ACC this weekend. That's Syracuse and North Carolina. I'll be at Johns Hopkins, Utah for a doubleheader. Uh, it's uh, the Utes at the Blue Jays first, and then we got a women's game between Hopkins and Penn. Uh, it's a bounce back must-win game for Peter Milliman and the Jays, who uh, spending too much time in the training room, playing without Russell Melendez on Saturday, playing without uh, Jacob Angelus, playing without Patrick Deans, playing without Bo Zulik. Uh, They need to get healthy, and this game should wake up their offense because Utah, as you'll hear from John Galloway, Utah plays a fun, up-tempo, two-end style. 
Well, up next, we bring in John Galloway, head coach for the Jacksonville Dolphins. He's done a wonderful job taking that program from nothing into, uh, you know, one, one of the best programs in the South. Uh, Galloway, a former goaltender at Syracuse and for Team USA. Welcome back, everybody. Exciting time of the year as uh, February comes to a close. We bring in Jacksonville head coach John Galloway, fresh uh, on a two-game win streak, got a, a critical win over Duke, and then last week holding serve against Marist, 13-5. Jacksonville coach in a, a scheduling oddity. You guys have a, a bye week this weekend. Uh, it, it's something we, we really don't see at, at the D1 level. Uh, w tell us a story about uh, your week off. Yeah, you know, when, you, when you're scheduling a few years ahead, you, you lock in some home and homes. And obviously we had John Hopkins, who was gracious enough to, to come back and, and pay us a visit as well as Duke. So we knew we had to start on February 4th. However, when the new conference came along, you know, we went from six teams in the SOCON to 10 teams in the ASUN. So that really increased our, our schedule. And we didn't want to lose our out-of-conference opponents. So um, we're at 17 max contests right now. So we had to find a weekend to take off. And uh, that includes nine conference games as well as six out of conference and two scrimmages. Uh, we didn't do anything in the fall because we knew we were at capacity. So forced us to be, uh, to be stagnant this week, which uh, ironically ended up being a blessing because we're a little bit banged up. So uh, we're using this as like a two week training camp. Yeah. Your next game is uh, March 4th, Saturday, March 4th at high point, six 30, uh, an old rival, uh, two of the you know best uh, emerging programs to me in, in the South. How do you approach this off week? Uh, do, do you, uh, Back in the day, believe it or not, we'd have double sessions. We, <laughs> spring break, we'd have double sessions, practices at 9 and 3.30, uh, Monday wow. through Thursday. We were cooked by Saturday, and we always played <laughs> really bad the week of spring break and then bounced back the next week and usually played our best game of the year. Yeah, it's funny, you know, in our spring break at Syracuse, we always play Johns Hopkins. So my spring breaks just re revolved around listening to the band in the audio speaker in the dome uh, that Coach Jessica used to put on. But, you know, I think sports science has kind of shifted the minds of coaches and how we really take take on this week. You know, we we do vet rest days all the time. So this for us is an opportunity to develop, you know, numbers 25 through 60 on our roster and give those guys a chance to get some live reps with coaching and, and be able to really see what we have in depth and, and give our guys who've been playing a lot of minutes for us a chance to heal as well as our IR report, hopefully to shrink a little bit. Yeah, that's a good point. We'll get into your team in a second. I do want to ask you some questions just overall about, uh, about your path, you know, uh, retiring uh, from, from, from the goal, stepping away from the crease for the first time since when, uh, seven, eight, nine, ten-year-old? Yeah, yeah. I started when I was seven and uh, retired in 2021. I have not seen a shot since that last day in August, which, uh, you know, it, it was it was my life. I mean, it I, my life revolved around trying to figure out a way to, to be the best goalie I could be. And uh, even when I was a kid, I was just obsessed with not screwing it up. And um, it, it ended up being a, a pretty big stress on my shoulders, you know, especially at the end when you're not playing as well as you'd like to and uh, you're letting down your teammates in some games. So it was the right time for me. It was before I had to get taken out to the pastures anyway. So to be able to do it, you know, on my own term with my best friend and roommate from college and pros, um, pretty special run and uh, wouldn't have traded it for the world. You know, it's interesting because I played until I was what goalie until I was what 28 or 29. And I really felt in those last two years that my eyes and hands were not reacting as they did when I was a 21 year old. And I've done some research, you read about it. And 29 is like the magical age for hand eye coordination. It's amazing to me that these NHL goalies now are able to thrive into their upper 30s. But uh, what's, what's your summer like now, now that you're not competing in the PLL? 
<laughs> well, my wife's a lot happier uh, for sure because I'm not going from recruiting trip right to the game. I'm going from recruiting trip to home for a few days. So, you know, I try to do like four, three, four, three, whether that's four days at home, three days on the road or four days on the road, three days at home as much as I can. Um, you know, we, we like to be on campus as much as I can as well for kids and and to, to spend some time with my wife. And uh, we're expecting a little girl in April. So this summer is going to be part of partly a wash for me, which uh, again is, is something that we're looking forward to. I think it's, we're at a place right now where our staff is so uh, well put together and, and I'm so trustworthy of them uh, that we feel like we can balance a little bit of both. Congratulations. That, that's unbelievable. My daughter is 13 right now. And three weeks ago, she's a gymnast. Three weeks ago, she said, uh, Daddy, I think I want to play lacrosse this spring. So, so, so John, you may not believe this. We're out there. She's in eighth grade and she can't catch and throw. And, <laughs> and, and so day one, we're having a catch. We got three in a row. Day two, 12 in a row. Day three, 20 in a row. And so, and so the improvement is remarkable, but she's still so far behind. So uh, wish me well this spring, man. It's, uh, it's going to be interesting. I look forward to how many in a row you have at the end of the spring. It'll be it'll be a cool cool moment of growth for you guys. Hey, last thing individually, uh, since retiring, now I know you'll always love to train. How have you adjusted your in, your personal training with your uh, you know growing family with your job? How have you adjusted your training? What what have you kind of uh, latched onto that you enjoy? It's funny, Quint. I'm probably in the best shape physically that I've ever been because my training's so focused on just my body. So um, my wife and I actually go to a gym every morning at 630. It's a class and it's kind of divided up. And uh, so I have a strength coach there. And I mean, from bench press to deadlifts to I mean, my I'm stronger functionally than I've ever been, probably in the best shape I've ever been, which is ironic. And, um, you know, you're just not worried about you know, your false steps or uh, ladder work, you're worried about like, okay, how am I as a whole holistically developing? So probably eating the best I've ever been, training the best I've ever been, uh, just not playing on the weekends. Yeah, that, that, that's terrific to hear. Let, let's, let's turn the attention to the Dolphins. Uh, I've watched two of your three games uh, in, in, in parts, you know, about 75%. The, the Hopkins uh, opener, great crowd, great enthusiasm. Uh, the Blue Jays played their best game of the year. Uh, you guys had had a little bit of an early re, early lead in that game, uh, doing a nice job on the ride, and then and then didn't finish. And what what takes me, what really stood out was that the step up you guys made the next week in in the win against Duke. I I, I just thought it was a, a really really strong week one to week two turnaround uh, in terms of improvement across the board. Yeah, great player led leadership. They were really disappointed with our performance against Hopkins. You know, I think that we, ironically, I thought we played better against Hopkins. And we did last year, but Hopkins got better as well. And there's, you know, this, somebody else has a say in that game. And I think we were a little bit stubborn with how we wanted to defend them. And uh, we opened up our, our playbook a little bit and, and got right back to work. And, um, you know, we had to learn how to play without Max Waldbaum. Obviously, that was a that was an adjustment for us over the first couple of weeks. And the guys all kind of chipped in in different ways. And defensively, we just became more of a unit versus an individual effort. You know, we relied so much on our individual battles last spring. And I think we were a little bit stubborn there and we were willing to support each other against Duke. And we knew we needed to against uh, elite level superior athletes and, you know, really proud of how we defended. Uh, we're not winning the faceoff battle right now. And to be as uh, def deficient as we were with possessions and to find ways to get stops, that was something that was really encouraging for us. Finding that slide balance, you know, when you watch tapes, like last night, I watched Loyola play, trying to figure out what they're doing well on defense. I've seen North Carolina. They have really good personnel and good shorties. But but you guys against Hopkins, it seemed like you were slow to slide. They scored, what, six, a half dozen unassisted goals. And then the next week against Duke, all of a sudden, some of those packages seems like seemed like they, they made more sense. Uh, 
every defense is different. And, and you, you know, from being a former goalie, what, what's, what's going to work best for, for this group? You know, I think we do have some individuals that are special. And, and when we get into our conference, you don't want to create offense. There's some really slick, skilled guys that you, you can, you know, I think of the Robert Morris's and the Utah's of the world that, that will kill you with ball movement or kill you with off-ball efficiency. Uh, but, you know, the, there's a time and a place as, as well where you need to be a, a six, seven-man unit. So I think that we've done a good job of being a little bit more multiple over the last two weeks, uh, knowing that we can slide when needed and when we can make an impact. That's, that's really been kind of our teaching point. Can you make an impact if you go? If not, let's allow our teammates to be the best version of themselves and uh, put a little bit of trust in those guys because we do have some some unique individual talent on that end. You fell behind Duke and then you made a, just a sustained, uh, emotional, energetic rally to, to win that game. And what stood out to me was you got guys off the bench that I hadn't heard of making major contributions. And, and suddenly it looked like the depth of scoring was, was legitimate. It was deep. Uh, how would you best describe what you saw in the second half of that game? <clears throat> yeah, you know, we, we would talk, I have a laminated sheet in my pocket during games and it says monks, be a monk. And, and, you know, Jordan McIntosh, one of my former teammates spoke to the team in the preseason and said, listen, we're going to have highs, we're going to have lows, but you know, we need to be steel between the years. And, you know, we, we really talked a lot about that at halftime at Duke game. We were up in the first quarter. Uh, they went on a run, which they always do. Uh, Brendan O'Neill did some special stuff. And, you know, we compared it to like the Top Gun movie. You know, you're going to see that fifth gen fighter do something that's really uh, uh, miraculous. It's something that you've never seen before. But how do you respond? You know, how did Rooster and, and Maverick win in an F-14? And, and we had to kind of change our altitude and, and do things a little bit differently. And I got, our guys just chipped away. It wasn't just a huge emotional moment. It was one at a time. And I was really proud of just the consistency of our play in the second half against a team that often can intimidate you. And, and we didn't, we didn't flinch. And that was something that we can be proud of. Yeah. I, I've always looked at the, the goalie position as being beneficial in that regard. When a guy pings a corner uh, it's in your best interest to acknowledge, Hey, that guy's pretty good too. You know, he, he stung a corner. It's, and, and not to get down uh, not to get down for the ones you can't, you know, you're probably not going to make that safe. Uh, yeah. In your mind, you'd like to make them all. Uh, but but as a coach, do you find you, you look at a game the same way, uh, occasionally saying, you know what, uh, I got to tip our cap to that guy. Uh, but you look at other goals like, oh, man, that that never should have happened. Yeah, yeah. And that's exactly what we talked about. You know, Brandon O'Neill scored three or four miraculous goals in the second quarter against pretty good defense. You know, just tip your cap. I mean, that's that's going to happen with a special player like that. But can we find some plays to be made throughout the game? And I think our goal at Luke Milliken did exactly that. You know, he never flinched. Uh, you know, I think he made one save in the first half and we talked back and forth because we have some pretty good goalie depth there. We said, you know, Lucas deserved the opportunity to, to keep fighting through this. And that's exactly what he did. I think he had eight third quarter saves, which was ultimately the difference. And, you know, we found a way to just to calm down. And, you know, once you string one together, just as you know, devastating as one of those goals given up is one stop against O'Neill is pretty special. And then all of a sudden that strings together a few as well. So we rode the momentum wave in the third and we were able to sustain it going into the end of the fourth. Yamilkin finished with 13 saves uh, using Jason Yaquinto, the, the mammoth uh, man down specialist as, as well, which is, which is interesting. And, and I, I kind of enjoy it because it, it uh, causes the opponent to react, causes the opponent to think. And then any moment of hesitation uh, is beneficial. Uh, tell me about the Marist win. 13 to five. Dylan Watson had a big day. Brandon Galloway now with a couple of assists in that, in, in that game. Uh, what, what, what stood out in terms of your Marist win? Yeah, defensively. I mean, the way that we played uh, against two to and, you know, to list members and Jojo Pereca and Jamison and Barry Tr Tradinger to me is the best player uh, that's not being talked about. I've, I've raved about him. He gave up 
uh, a goal to Brendan O'Neill off of a pick. He shut out Jamison Embury. He shut out Russell Melendez. To me, he's the guy that no one's talking about that that needs more recognition. And I, I, I'll bang on the tables as much as I can for him. Uh, when he won that matchup, and and then you know we were able to limit Paraka's opportunities, we felt like we really were able to kind of swing the momentum of the game. And again, another game where we didn't win draws. It was actually our worst game in terms of statistical percentage, but our defense refused to give an inch. And you know we have a, a rope unit. Zach Deacon had three cause turnovers, six ground balls. You know to do that as a short stick. Um, I just felt like we weren't going to back down and we weren't going to give up a lot of space and Dylan got hot in the first half. And uh, you know, when he's hot, it's, it's a different animal because he only needs, he needs a half a yard to get a shot off. So um, disappointed in the outcome of our final tally, we felt like we could have scored more and had quality scoring opportunities, but uh, motivating to go into this week, knowing there's more meat on the bone. And uh, we were able to get out of that, that, that tough slate two and one. When I think about your career, I think about you playing for teams whose style of play was was uh, crystal clear, quite honestly, the way playing in high school and, and then Syracuse in college and then with Team USA. I always felt that you guys really, there was good self-identity, like, hey, this is what we need to do to win. This is what, this is how we play. How should this Dolphins team play this season? What do you think are, are the strengths uh, and how can you, what, what are you looking for stylistically? Yeah, defensively, you know, we we talk a lot about identity, but simply put, we, we want to have a little bit of hate in our heart defensively. I think that we we play undersized. We play a little bit smaller than some other teams that we we want to be. So we got to play with a little bit of a different hate in our heart. And uh, that doesn't mean dirty. We, we do not play dirty. And I'm strong. I'm I'm a strong component of our guys being able to play against a team. And then when they walk off, they say, man, they, they, they didn't talk. They didn't, they didn't, they weren't, they weren't trash talking, but physically I felt, I felt them the entire time. And then offensively, I think we have to be, uh, you know, a jack of all trades, you know, with, especially, you know, being able to fill in with Max over the past couple of weeks, who's willing to step up. Jack Taylor is a freshman who's, who stepped up in a huge way for us in the first couple of weeks. Um, Ethan Lamont scored the game winner. Then he couldn't play this past weekend. Uh, we had a few guys that got injured in the preseason that we're hoping to get back. You know, so it's been the next man up every week. And, um, you know, if we can continue to develop depth because of that in May, when it's a little bit hotter and maybe we're playing a little bit better temperatures, can we just continue to, to run guys out of the midfield because uh, everybody's kind of earned that opportunity. So um, I'm excited to see what our identity still develops into, but I am proud of our depth, uh, how we've handled some adversity and how we've been able to create a longer bench because of it. Defense with an edge. I love it. Uh, as, as, as a goalie, you'd like to, you know, I, I compare it to the NFL. I played in the era where guys didn't cross the middle without without paying the price. And nowadays you can't breathe on a quarterback uh, without getting a penalty. But there's got to be a physical component to playing defense. Uh, you, you, it's a it's a it's a territory based game and you got to protect your territory. Uh, I want to ask you about Brandon Galloway, MIDI transfer from UMBC, who, who to me has uh, he's looked really good. He's looked to me like a PLL level athlete. I called up his stats from last year at UMBC and there weren't many. And then I go back two years and I saw he scored like 21 goals. What's Brandon's story? Uh, and, and who is this young man? Yeah, this kid is special. You know, people all season long were asking me about Dylan Watson and Cole Daniger and a little bit more notable name transfers that we brought in. And Brandon, as soon as he stepped foot on campus, we said, this kid has it. I mean, I, I, I can't quite describe it, but he's 6'3". He's strong. He has two-point range. Um, he's, he's unselfish. He comes in the building with a smile every day. He's faced adversity. He's bounced back from it. Um, this kid was just looking for a second chance. He was looking for a new place uh, to, get, to get his feet wet. And 
and to be able to kind of reestablish himself within an offense. He's coachable. I mean, I, I think he's one of the few guys that we asked him to do things maybe outside of his comfort zone, you know, put a stick back to the inside, play with his left hand, uh, get away from the roll dodge, you know, really just accelerate his speed. And he's done all of that. And in, in the first three games, I mean, he's, he's leading our team in shots leading our team in, in, in points right now, I believe. Um, I mean, he's, he's doing it all at the midfield, you know, probably on the field, maybe 40, 50% of the time. So um, my, my favorite part about Brandon is he walks in the building and he's smiling every day. He's so grateful to be here. And uh, when you have a guy like that, you can really start to rally around him. Yeah. You, you plug in the tape and honestly, it was just like, who the heck is that guy? And how come I've never heard of him? Uh, did he find you? Did you find him? How did that all shake down? Yeah, it actually came down to us in Maryland, which uh, I remember sitting on the field thinking, man, this this could be a big difference maker for us and, and talking to him at length at, uh, on certain evenings about where we think he could be in this program and why we think this could be a great for, fit for him. And as a Maryland kid, you're always worried we're going to lose him to a place like that. And uh, ultimately, on the, in the last you know, in the last hour, we were able to to gain his trust. And I think that's that's what Brandon needed, someone he could trust and someone that believed in him. And um, it's been really fun to to watch him grow even just in a few short months, because uh, I think the sky's the limit. And I think his future could be after college across as well. Yeah, no, that that's what I see. I, I, you know, I don't know if he plays good enough defense to be a two way guy and his goal scoring may have, you know, need some polish at the pro level. As you know, those guys are, are amazingly good in terms of finishing, but athletically uh, the, the change of direction, the acceleration, it's, it's, it's all there. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, and I think that he is a guy that, you know, is a matchup issue against a short stick, uh, has the ability to, to to fake it on defense a little bit for sure, um, but not, yeah, maybe not in a two-way capacity. But uh, if he continues to develop a little bit of left hand, he scored a lefty goal on the run this past weekend. And, you know, the sidelines kind of went, whoa, because it, it moves. When it comes out of a stick, it moves. And if he can tighten up his accuracy, he's a guy that we'll certainly be talking about in, in May. Georgetown transfer Dylan Watson looked like he kind of got off to a slow start, but had four goals against Marist. Uh, I'm guessing that he, that he's trying to feel out his teammates and, and read who can pass and how he needs to get open within the the framework of your, of your offense. He's he's exceptional uh, from from it from ten yards and in left handed. Uh, what have you seen from from Dylan and and how has he uh, kind of stepped up in the last three weeks? Yeah, you know Dylan came in with a little bit of an injury, so he didn't practice this fall, and then in the spring. Obviously, with Max not being down on that unit quite yet and, and trying to figure out how we plug him in, he has such a unique skill set. The guys have to get used to him, and, and that includes the coaches. I take a lot of blame in the first two games not putting Dylan in spots to have success. I think he's kind of categorized as an inside guy, but he's also has the ability to pop and shoot where he scored a lot of his goals against Maris. So putting him in positions to get his hands free, and I mean, the ball gets out of his stick faster than I've ever seen. So um, we have to keep putting him in spots where – you know, our guys recognize that they can get on the ball and Dylan doesn't need more than a couple yards. And uh, he finally started to feel that a little bit against Marist. And we have to do a better job as coaches, making sure we're giving him more of those opportunities. Against Duke, you got, as I said earlier, you got remarkable contributions from guys coming off the bench. Uh, and, and that's an issue nationally when I page through these, these box scores every Sunday and, and I look to see, you know, what kind of depth of contributions are teams getting. And I thought it was a great sign. Uh, tell me about, we'll go, we'll go one at a time. Bryce, Wovnovich, yeah, Bryce, Bryce Wanovich, yeah, it's uh, Wanovich, excuse me, yeah, Wanovich. You know these guys. I, I, I'm so I feel so fortunate. You know, to, we have you have good friends in the sport that, that kind of point you in the right direction. We heard about Bryce as a big time basketball player. He could dunk the ball. I, the first video I got of Bryce was him just dunking basketballs. So we invited him down to campus. He scored five goals in a state championship game in North Carolina. We thought, man, this kid is just it, this, the stick isn't totally smooth in his hands. 
but this kid is an elite athlete. And uh, again, I mentioned some of those short sticks, him and Tucker Garrity, uh, again, guys that don't get talked about, those are our two cover short sticks. I mean, we try not to slide to those guys if possible. And um, those guys have given us this new identity on defense of, you know, maybe we don't need to go all the time and there's a time and a place, but uh, these two guys are pretty darn special if the right matchup occurs. Reed Smith. Yeah. Cool story. Reed Smith actually was, when I first got to JU, I, I had an office in a vacant dorm and on the whiteboard was the next recruiting class. And Reed Smith was at the top of that recruiting class. He was currently committed at the time and he was on a big, we didn't have many scholarships, but he was on the biggest. And I, I went and watched him play. I said, Oh my God, we, this, we're going to be fine. This kid's fantastic. He decommitted, committed to Delaware. He was considering going to UVA. He ended up deciding to go to FSU, went to Florida state, had his four years at Florida state, played MCLA. Um, he was one of my most enjoyable kids to watch. And, you know, I was so heartbroken. He wasn't playing division on the cross. So uh, fast forward three, three and a half years later, calls me, he's got extra years of eligibility because of MCLA and COVID. And uh, we were able to get him on campus. Um, Reed is, uh, if you, if, you know, again, if my daughter were 20 years older, the first person I would think to have her date would be Reed Smith. He's just one of those young men that represents the place the right way. And, um, you know, he's funny. He scored two goals this year against Duke. He scored a goal last year against Duke. And the year before that, he was playing MCLA somewhere in South Carolina. So pretty cool story. That's incredible. Uh, while I was down at Florida State two years ago, I, I stopped by and, and met their coach. They were hopping on a bus to go play a scrimmage, I think, in the fall against Tampa. But so uh, while we're there, do you have your eyes on the Florida, the Southern schools in terms of the MCLA, D2 and D3? uh in, in terms of transfers is, is is that a viable player pool for you you know when we started recruiting reed we watched mcla playoff games as a staff and we we're like man this defenseman from georgia is giant we have a ga who actually played was actually uh at the university of maryland transferred to the university of south carolina he was the number 36 recruit in that class went to gonzaga he's our ga now uh and he's telling us all these stories about yeah, they practice five days a week and, and they travel to go play two games in a weekend. And you think, man, these guys love the game just as much as the college kids. And, uh, and maybe even more, you know, with some of the time they put in and money they have to put in. And, you know, there are guys, I think a lot of it is reversed. So a lot of D1 guys end up in the MCLA for maybe a bigger school experience uh, or whatever they may you know, prefer. But I, I do think it's viable. I think, I think it exists. I think it's a tight pipeline. Division two, division three, I think that is the best kept secret. Uh, we have five commits next year already, all division two and division three guys. Uh, those guys are just as talented. Uh, and Max Waldbaum, such a great example of, of what those guys are capable of doing when they get to this level. Yeah, they are. They are. We're, we see that uh, every season this year is, is uh, the same. Last guy I want to ask you about is Jack Taylor had the hat trick uh, against Duke. Who's Jack Taylor? Yeah, yeah Jack Taylor is a, a well-kept secret. Uh, he is, He's a freshman for us uh, from, from Massachusetts area, went to Lawrence Academy. When we got him, we, we couldn't believe it. We were kind of pinching ourselves. Um, I felt like he was just under-recruited and uh, it was right in COVID. You know, he was a guy that, you know, we saw mostly on film. So he kind of slipped through the radar that way. Um, Jack Taylor is, if you met our team, you'd say, okay, the, seat, the captains are probably Troy, Zach Deacon and Jack Taylor. Uh, that's how he carries himself as a freshman. So, uh, you know, to have a guy that humble, you know, when, when we clip, uh, positives after a game, you know, I clip Jack Taylor's goals because he gets up, he grabs his teammate and he walks off the field. There's no flinch. There's no celebration. And uh, talk about being a monk. I mean, that is how Jack Taylor operates. And uh, he's going to be a special one for us for the next four years. What, what you, you use the word under recruited. Uh, I'm sure there are parents listening to this who believe their kids are being under recruited. Uh, 
how 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 can you avoid being under recruited or why is a certain athlete under recruited uh like take me through what what made people miss him yeah i, I think the perception of under recruited and i guess the way that i used it is maybe he missed by some of the bigger power five conferences um but for jack you know when he was in the midst of this process with and covid was obviously a unique animal but i think he's it's a good analogy for any kid who's going through the process he just decided to take it in his own hands he chose the schools that he was interested in. His mom was thinking about moving to Florida. He looked at a couple of Southern schools. We got him on campus. We spent time with him. We got to know him and, and his family. And it was it was a cultural fit. So, you know, that's the best advice I could give, especially if you're, you know, on the on the fence teetering is take it in your own hands. And, and that's exactly what Jack did. And, and I believe he's going to be a huge part of our culture moving forward because of it, because he fits our culture. Lightning round. I got a couple of generic questions. Uh, as, as a past member of Team USA, what was your reaction to the the roster coming out recently? What what jumped out at you? I knew it was going to be young. Uh, I was excited to see some of the staples. Obviously, you know, Jesse uh, on the defensive end. Uh, you know, when with Rob, the way he's grown, not only on the field but off the field, I think he's going to be a huge leader for them. But I'm excited to see the young guys. I, I am. I, I think Brennan O'Neill. Um, obviously just had to play against him. I think he's special. I mean, I think he can do so many things and then surround him with that that amount of talent. Uh, it's going to be it's going to be a fun group to watch. I, I will say. You know, I was I was down at our coaches convention. I saw them play a little bit and I've had a chance to play against Danny Logan um, and, and the kid Goodrich. And then I played with Ryan Tarafanko and Jake Richards. You know, to me, that's where you win this game. And that's where that's how we won it in 2018 with Will Hawes and Jake Bernhardt and the guy, Kevin Unterstein, the guys that just buckle down for three minutes at a time and defend short six. Those guys are going to be a huge piece of their success. And I think they got the right guys in the room. I know you're busy, but the PLL is playing their sixes indoors this, this week uh, from third, I think from uh, Wednesday all the way through, through sun, Sunday at the St. James in Virginia. The games will be televised definitely on ESPN plus. They got some linear time slots as well. What, what, what the, I, I was texting with Adam Gettleman. He, he had no interest in, in hopping in the goal in this, this format of sixes. Uh, is, is this, is this up? I, I would love to play sixes if they'd let me cross the midline, but apparently the goalies can't go across the midline. Yeah, and you'd be you'd be amazing at sixes. You'd, you'd be a two end player. You know that I when we played show park at West Tennessee, that's how it was, right? You get scored on, you pick the ball up, and like it was an immediate five on four. And that's how I learned to play the game. I learned when to jump cut and and how to play with my left hand. And um, it's going to be a blast for those guys. I do think the goalies obviously the speed of shots is going to be unique, and uh, there's going to be some bumps in the and bruises, but. Uh, man, what a, what a cool opportunity to play in February. I mean, all, all off season long, once you graduate, you're like, I got to wait till the summer and then it's two months and it flashes by. So I think it's just exciting that there's going to be high level lacrosse played in the middle of the season. If you're a fan, even if you're not a fan and you watch that, that level of lacrosse, eh, who knows, maybe we, we gain a, a new following as well. So I'm looking forward to it. And obviously it's good for our sport. Yeah. I think the game's going to have a pace that, that, that uh, we've never seen before uh, question as a former goalie now head coach at the D one level, when you're coaching your goalies uh, in practice, what, what, what are one or two things you find yourself harping on quite a bit? Yeah. Catching the ball. You know, I think right now we're clearing at a better efficiency than ever before. And it's mostly because I think we, we really, we stat possession saves. We don't just stat saves and, and how much we control the ball. Uh, that's number one. Number two, I think it's just the, communi the communication. I, I, I believe in verbal and nonverbal cues from the goalie. There's just so much time spent not making saves. Yeah, you got to make an impact a different way. And 
Uh, again, it was a big part of, I think, our growth from Hopkins to Duke was we, we, we told Luke, listen, if you're only going to make 12 to 14 saves, we need more. You know, we need more demand of, of who the slide is, if we need to slide, when we're sliding, what the shot clock is. Like your involvement can be 60 minutes. It doesn't need to be 60 seconds. And how do we try to uh, how do we try to grow that and put a little bit more responsibility on their shoulders? Difficult to gauge uh, goalie communication without actually being on the field listening standing I found myself when I coached uh for those dozen years at the high school level I would like to stand behind the goal in the crease and and really kind of tell the goalie where he should be looking what's and and eventually they they get it uh in terms of catching the ball uh for me it was always wall ball and a lot of wall ball I mean a lot uh what what's how do you learn to catch the ball as a goalie yeah, I think you, you, your your weight control. To me, that was everything that I always focused on was where your weight finishes after a save. And if you're a stretching goalie, if you're a guy that is a little bit more explosive, well, you, that means your weight's off balance. So usually when your hips are behind the ball at the end, that means your weight is controlling the, the, the direction of the ball. So we focus a lot on that with some of our early work drills is, is just finishing saves, not just making saves. And if your weight is behind it at the end, Traditionally, the ball is going to stay within arm's reach versus, uh, you know, if you are just making one explosive movement, but nothing else is coming with you. Well, you know, physics would tell you that your, your body is forcing the ball in a certain direction. So we try to be really cognizant of that. So balance, weight control, hips and shoulders. Yeah, we talk about like a, a two and a three step. So when you make a two step, you're stopping the ball. That's that's what we're trying to do with avoiding false steps and making sure we're not guessing. Our two step is to the ball. That's the most explosive, most important start. Our through step is, is keeping the ball. So our through step is how you finish it. So you really firing your hips all the way through and getting the head of your stick around the ball versus just stopping or turning the head of your stick. So those are some of the, the little, you know, I guess just nuances that we, even in, in the beginning work when the shots aren't hard, we ask our guys to drill at a little bit, maybe faster pace, just because that's what it takes to be able to finish with that through save. Jacksonville competing in the A-Sun this year. Uh, it's a It's a big league. It's a national league that the travel is unlike, I think, any league in any sport in America. I mean, uh, it's it's honestly from Utah to Ohio, uh, down the East Coast. Uh, what's it like from uh, an administrative point of view uh, when, when, when someone says, hey, we're, we're in the A-Sun now. You, you got to travel across America. Well, number one, I, I have the best boss bosses in the country, my AD and my president. Uh, they they believe in lacrosse. They've made lacrosse important here on campus. We have a lacrosse only field, a lacrosse only building, you know, fully funded in terms of scholarships. And now the the, the operating budget, the operating budget allows us to, to do the things we're about to do. Uh, and then obviously the second part of that is is our ability to, to gain support. I mean, we don't have this big alumni base, right? Our, our oldest alums probably graduated in 2012 to 2013. So they're a little bit younger than me. Um, so we have to find families, supporters, folks in the town that want to be a part of the growth of lacrosse in North Florida. And that's why you saw the Hopkins game was just a, a sample size of what this community has done. We had the North Florida Lacrosse League, which is made up of, you know, uh, Miami and Tampa and uh, all across the state of Florida. They, we hosted that event before the Hopkins game. So you have hundreds of guys that are, you know, anywhere from 25 to 60 playing lacrosse on our campus and then going to the game. Well, that's, I mean, that's, you can't do that anywhere in the state of Florida, then go watch a division one game. So those are the, the things that we need to do to continue to grow support uh, for our program. But I have to start with our administration. We just have, I mean, it, it's a cut above the rest. And I just, I feel, I feel like I've never been said no to, we just have to find the solution. Um, but, you know, we even previewed it to our team yesterday. We're going to play three games in seven days next week. 
Then we're going to travel to Pittsburgh and play the, the conference defending champs. Then we're going to play three games in six days. We're going to fly to Cleveland and then we're going to jump on a plane after the game and go to Utah and play on a Friday night. And then we're going to fly home. And I mean, that's, we're going to play seven games in March. We only play three in February. So that's what this conference allows us to do. And that's what the kids came here to do. So we're going to embrace it. Epic tailgating before that Hopkins game, from what I've been told. Uh, while you're in the t- subject to Utah, I got, I got the Utes this Saturday making the trip to Homewood Field. Uh, how, how do I do best describe their the Utah style to, to, the, to the fan who may be watching? Georgia Tech football. It's an LJ I always use for them and Robert Morris. It's the team that you have to prepare for all year long. The things that they do in terms of forcing the ball up the field, doubling out of the faceoff, uh, playing in between the lines with the substitution game, uh, all the things that you, uh, you you try to practice in that one week that you don't get good at, you have to kind of try to implement that throughout the spring. So, you know, we equated to Georgia Tech football where we're always keeping in the back of our mind, hey, to, to win this conference, you're going to have to beat teams like Robert Morris and Utah who are going to play a style that we don't see all year. So let's start to implement some of that stuff throughout the week. And uh, we, we certainly feel that when we play them. Last thing, the importance of, of rivalries. You're at High Point again, uh, Saturday, March 4th. I think it's a 630 game, old SoCon rivals. Well, uh, you know, what, what's the importance of, 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 of developing these, these long-term you know, rivalries with uh, teams that make geographical sense? Yeah, you can talk to anybody that's put on a Jacksonville uniform. The first thing they'll say is, is the the disdain for High Point, and and it's a it's a it's a cool respect between the two because I think Coach Torpy is one of the best. He's actually one of the guys that reaches out to me after a big win, and little things like that that go a long way. I just I just think that he's he's made of the right stuff, Coach Torpy. Um, that game is going to be six thirty under the lights. Uh, it's actually in Charlotte, the Crown Classic, hosted by Chris Schiller. So Duke women are playing Notre Dame women before us. It's just a cool event. And it culminates with a game that's going to be one of our most physical games. It always is. Uh, there's definitely a little bit of jarring, but it's, it's what makes the sport fun. And, and again, it is just there's this really cool kind of quiet, mutual respect between the two because it's two programs trying to knock on the door of, of, of the power fives and trying to knock on the door of some of these schools that are in the final four. And um, I think that we, we both know what we're doing. We're just, we're just two vastly different places. You know, you, you're either a JU kid or a high point kid. You're not, you're not in the middle. And um, that's what makes the rivalry cool. And, and the respect uh, just as much there as well. You live in the Charlotte area. That's a, a worthy doubleheader. Uh, Chris Schiller does, does a wonderful job with that dating back now five or six years. Uh, John, I really appreciate your time. It's always great catching up. Uh, love your insight. Continued success. You're doing such a wonderful job down there. Uh, coming off of two wins at Duke and Marist. And, and you got the week off. So uh, in, in, enjoy your time off. <laughs> yeah, I'll try to. I, I my wife gave me a honeydew list. She had a baby shower here. She can see all the gifts. So apparently, that's what we're doing this Saturday. So we'll have some lacrosse on the background, and we'll uh, we'll get to making sure the house is ready. Thanks, John. Thanks, guys.